Welcome to THN on the O. As always, I am your host, Tony Ferrari, joined this week by Brock Otten. How you doing this week, Brock? Good, Tony. I love the shirt color today. I know some people are going to be watching it instead of just listening, but we are kind of matching today. Yeah, a little bit. I've got a gradient. The lower half of my shirt is probably closer to the actual shirt color that you're wearing, but uh, let's get right into the news. There's a lot going on in the OHL this week, both good and bad. Let's start with the good, though. Pavel Minshikov won the Max Kaminsky Trophy as the OHL's top defenseman. Did you have any doubt it was going to be him? Yeah, I kind of did. I mean, I thought with the second half that Brent Clark had, uh, I thought there was a chance, right? And we'd already talked about maybe Brent Clark being the Red Tilson winner, right? And I think maybe this points to that not happening. Obviously, it's it's a voted on award, but... With Minchikov taking home the Max Kaminsky, I would say that probably means that Brant Clark isn't going to be the Red Tilson winner because he didn't even win the OHL Defenseman of the Year. Now, that said, I don't want to take anything away from Pavel because he had a fantastic year split between Saginaw and Ottawa. I think he was a little bit better in Saginaw just with the way that they play. Their their sort of free-flowing system really fit his play style. But uh, he was great in Ottawa, too, in maybe a a slightly different kind of role. But, uh, yeah, I I mean, I I think it fits. Uh, I'm just a little bit surprised, I guess. uh, Maybe I was expecting Brant Clark or – I don't know. What do you think, Tony? I I kind of expected it to be Minchikov, at least for this award, because within the league they were going to go, who is here the longest, who is here all year, kind of was absolutely outstanding from start to finish. And Brant Clark wasn't there to start the year. As outstanding as his season was, he was maybe the best player in the OHL um, at various points throughout his his half season that he was here. So it wouldn't have shocked me if Brant Clark was there, but Menchikov was kind of the guy I expected. Yeah, that's that's very fair. Now let's move on to some bad news, and that's the dumpster fire that continues to burn in Niagara. Uh, After an incident with what's come out as hazing and some less than favorable things, the team has been fined $100,000. Owner Darren Dedobler was suspended from acting as GM for two seasons. Goalie Josh Rosenwig and Captain Landon Cato were banned from playing in the OHL. And this comes on the heels of the previous Ice Dogs general manager, Joey Burke, then head coach, Bill, then head coach Billy Burke being suspended for inappropriate comments and text messages and resulted in the OHL finding them of $150,000. What is going on in Niagara and will they ever have functional management? Man, it's that's that's tough. When when that came out, my first reaction was kind of like a long sigh, <laughs> and uh, I feel for the players there. I mean, they've had to go through yeah. a lot, and this is this is tough. Like we just saw that they had a little bit of difficulty recruiting. Um, yeah, they got all their picks signed. Um, they ended up going with Rubrik, and and he did sign. But there was a bit of a what we felt or our scouts that we had on our show felt was a bit of a reach at five and and having to go through that. And now you lose your captain, you lose uh, essentially your one of your starting goalies to this sort of horrible hazing situation. I'm glad you mentioned Len Cato was the captain. And that's obviously a, a terrible look when your captain is involved in this. The whole situation under Double D, as we'll call him, um, has been, I think you said it, a dumpster fire. It continues to be because his statement essentially said that he'd be fighting it and and trying to 
essentially still have control over Niagara, even though he isn't allowed to by the league. What they do next, uh, I mean, I guess they have to kind of treat it like the Flint situation from a few years ago, right? Where somebody from OHL offices has to go in there, take control, and reestablish credibility, right? This is a great franchise. This is a great market. The fans in Niagara are very passionate. It is a fantastic arena. Uh, This is a very viable market that the OHL cannot mess up. They need to fix this. So that means getting people in there who can bring back that credibility, steer the ship in the right direction. And yeah, uh, I, I was, look, there's a, I feel for, like I said, I feel for the players and I feel for the families that are in Niagara right now. Like when this happened, I had a bunch of questions that were asked to me on, on Twitter from people and whether they have connections to Niagara, I don't know, but questions were all about the same and it was what would you do if you know your son was playing in Niagara or headed to play in Niagara do you think that their contract should be able to be voided or anything like that because it's a breach of trust right like when you signed that contract you weren't anticipating this and if this wasn't said to the people like for example rubric if this wasn't disclosed to him before he signed and then this happens it looks pretty bad, right? Um, I, I don't know. I, it, it definitely needs to be dealt with very quickly and very soon. Yeah, I, I feel bad for the guys going in because they didn't know this was coming. They didn't know that the, the next two or three years of this franchise are going to be greatly impacted by this at, at the end of the day. Is Ryan Ruber going to be able to successfully be surrounded by talent that's going to be able to help him become the best player he can be? It, it, it's really unfortunate. It sucks that obviously it's a captain that's partially responsible for this and landing Cato. It's just a terrible situation. And, and you, you want to see Niagara get back on, on the right track, because like you said, they are a really good franchise, great market, solid arena. Like what's not to like really about this Niagara market, aside from everything that's gone on over the last couple of years between two different uh, management and ownership groups. So it's going to be interesting, especially because Darren Dobler owns three franchises in Ontario from the GoJHL to the OJHL now to the OHL. It's silly that he's also the general manager of all three. It seems like you should just be focusing on, on a team and maybe not trying to put too much on your plate, but he wants to play it like EA sports. So uh, that's also probably why they've had so many trades over the last year, calendar year, the most in the OHL by far. It's a weird situation. So crappy situation i think it's it's unfortunate Uh, any kid that was affected by the hazing incidents that were going on i feel for but man like i'm gonna be very happy when we can talk about niagara in a good light in the next hopefully year or two let me ask you a question It's, it's something that i saw a bunch of people talking about on social media and the question is do you think that it was fair that niagara lost their first round pick next year which is likely to be possibly First overall, um, I'll give you my answer first. I'm just I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I'm going to say yes, because at the end of the day, this was clearly something that came from the top down. I, I think you look at the NHL and they, they've had different punishments go through various teams, whether it's New Jersey or Arizona, and you have to pay for the punishment and to pay for the thing you did. I mean, Chicago didn't have to in the NHL, but aside from that, everyone else has had to pay their punishment. I, I it makes sense. It sucks for the players that are going there. 
and, and it could be a reason that they're going to have a hard time recruiting over the next year or two. But yeah, I kind of, I, I do feel like it's fair. Like you, you have to make an impact on this team one way or another and, and really show that like you can't, you can't be a story in the off season, every off season when you're not doing things on the ice. Yeah, I'll play devil's advocate a little bit. I, I wish that they hadn't done that and just focused on punishing the people who are responsible. Mm-hmm. You kick out the players who are responsible and you find a way to remove ownership and management who didn't nothing about this. Or if they didn't know about it, if it was, you know, the wool was over the eyes on this situation, then those are the people you punish. Because in my opinion, you're taking away now the opportunity for that team to get better. And that's ultimately punishing the players who've already been through enough. Yeah, right? I, I agree with you there. You, 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 when you look at a guy like Rubric, who you just mentioned, right? Like getting the supporting cast around him. Well, now, okay, that team doesn't have a first rounder next year, which again, could have been first, second, third overall. I'm sure it's going to be that high. They don't have that. So when's he going to get talent surrounding him and how are they going to get talent surrounding him is it going to be through the import draft i mean what agent in their right mind that has a really good import player is going to send them to niagara at this point yeah no i I think yeah i think you have a really good point there i think if they would have made the other punishments harsher tell darren double d to to you're done you can't be a general manager in the ohl i don't care if you own the team or not you are no longer eligible for it indefinitely don't make Mm -hmm. it two years put that put that kick that stone down the road until five, 10 years from now when, when he wants to do something goofy again, tell him he's not allowed to take it, force him to sell, do something, make it a harsher punishment. And I, I agree with you. I, I think you have to do something to, to really impose your the league's will. And at the end of the day, it might've just been something where they had to do. They had to do everything that they could because certain things maybe weren't allowed within some sort of ownership agreement or something like that. So it's certainly a weird situation judging punishments uh, at the end of the day, but let's move on to a couple teams that are certainly doing much better. Uh, the London Knights have moved on to the OHL final after beating Sarnia in six games. Exactly how neither of us had it. And in the other series, the Peets beat the North Bay Battalion also exactly how neither of us had it. Uh, so we now have a final of Peterborough versus London. What is, what's your first reaction to that final? Yeah, I mean, we did talk about how this was was a bit of a toss-up. But, I mean, we've been kind of, we talked about it last week. Again, we've been underrating London for a while. This is a team that, in my opinion, is kind of surprising how well they've been able to perform over the last few months, the whole season, whatever you want to call it, because they're relying on so many young players to, to get the job done, right? They lose Brett Roshu. Oh, okay. Here comes Zach Bowen to the rescue. And, and he plays well enough to, to make sure that they hang on for that victory over Sarnia, right? You've got Sam Dickinson as one of the team's top defensemen. This is a 16-year-old, 17-year-old, whatever you want to call him in this league. Yeah, he's a fantastic player, but that's a tough spot. They're relying on two draft-eligible guys in Denver Barkey and, and Easton Cowan uh, on that line with Ryan Winterton. And they're driving – the game for London right now, right? They're behind the wheel. And it's kind of crazy to think this team probably isn't as good as it's going to be in a year or two with all the young pieces that they have in place, right? When Oliver Bonk and Dickinson and Cowan and Barkey and all them 
are in their 19-year-old season, like how good is this team going to be, especially with how well London recruits and how well London drafts? Uh, it's that's, that's nuts to me. Yeah, I think going into next year, I think London's going to be at the top of the board when we all choose who, who we think could make to the OHL final yet again next year. And the Peterborough Peets, I think they're a team that we've doubted at towards at, at times towards the end of the season because even though they brought in a ton of pieces, Brendan Othan, Owen Beck, different guys, they didn't really perform up to snuff until the playoffs. And when the playoffs happened, boy, have they been really good. Like, especially Brendan Othman, an absolute beast in the playoffs. This team has figured it out right in time. And, and they've gotten through the the, 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 Eastern, the Eastern Conference, gotten to the OHL final. Let's talk about X factors, though. I think that that's what the series is going to come down to. Who's going to be able to make the, the play at the big moment? Let's start with. Let's start with Peterborough. Who's your X factor for Peterborough? Yeah, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to give you two names and I'll tell you why I'm giving you two names. And the two names are Avery Hayes and Tucker Robertson. And the reason I'm giving you those two names is because they are two of Peterborough's primary penalty killers. And you're not going to beat the London Knights in a playoff series. If you don't shut down their power play, London's got one of the best power plays in the playoffs. I believe they're up like at 27 or 28%. Both the London and Peterborough PK have been half decent in the top five of of the playoffs, and they've been pretty good. But the Peterborough power play has been terrible in these playoffs. Yes, they've advanced to the OHL final without a power play, but I I just can't see them beating London if their special teams play overall is not excellent. That means their power play getting a little better, and that means their PK really doing their job because they're going to take penalties in this series. If you're going to beat the London Knights, it's going to be a grind. You're going to have to play physical, and that means crossing the line sometimes. And that means killing off penalties. And Hayes and Robertson are two of those guys that do that on the regular and do a really good job of it. So they're sort of my immediate thought for X Factors for this series. Yeah, for Peterborough, for me, it's Owen Beck. I think he's a guy that even – even though he's been good in the playoffs, he still hasn't been the player that I think a lot of people expected him to be this year in the OHL. I think he's going to need to step up because you have guys like Brian Othman, you have guys like Tucker Robertson and Avery Hayes, like you talked about, stepping up and being impact players just about every shift they're on the ice. Owen Beck needs to do that as well. I think to beat London, the big thing with London is they're a deep team. They, they come at you in waves, and you're going to need to match that. And Owen Beck is going to be the guy that's going to match that. Moving on to London, though, who are your who is your X factor for this team? He was a guy that I think I was going to put down, but I, I figured I'd save him for you. Uh, you're you're too kind, Tony. Uh, it, I I think it's got to be Zach Bowen, right? Uh, we don't know the exact health situation on Brett Brochu. It's been pretty mum, but it, it sounds like he might be done. He hasn't played since injuring himself. Uh, obviously, a lower body injury looked like ankle or or something related to that, and. That means it's it's Zach Bowen, who has been great this year for, for the Knights in, in sort of that backup role as a rookie. But it's really tough to win an OHL championship without a ton of experience, and, and that's Bowen. So I think all he has to do is is play well. I don't think he, he doesn't have to steal a series. He just has to play well. He's got to make the saves that he's supposed to make and let the London defense do the rest. Um and then that should give London a really good chance. But if he's shell-shocked, it, it could be a, a long series for London. It honestly could be. 
Yeah, and I think the two guys that I, th- I, I've chosen, again, much like you cheated with Peterborough, I'm cheating with London, and I'm going with the Twins, Denver Barkey and Easton Cowan. Two draft-eligible players who have been absolutely integral for this London team throughout the season. They've been play drivers on offense. They've been creative on offense. They do so many things for this London team that allow the other guys to do their job as well. I think it, they've been fantastic. Denver Barkey plays with so much energy. Easton Cowan, such a good player, understands the game and knows where to be on the ice at all times. I think those two guys going in there are going to be really big difference makers against guys like Brennan Othman, against guys like Avery Hayes and in, uh, Tucker Robertson. It, it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with the the physicality of the the Peterborough Peets because they are a team that likes to get in there and bang. A guy like to, like Brennan Othman will get in there and he'll score a goal on you and start taunting you and get physical after the whistle and do all the kind of those little things that playoff hockey is all about. Is didn't Denver Barkey and Easton Cowan going to be able to handle that? I think that they will. I think they're going to be really key integral pieces for the London Knights moving forward uh, in this OHL final. It's going to be interesting, though, because this is a really fun matchup but in, in a kind of a contrast of two styles. Yeah, another question for you. Denver Barkey, we've talked about him a lot on this show. We've talked about him being underrated at times. Do you think this long playoff run that he's been instrumental in making happen, do you, do you think that pushes him up the draft board? I mean, given that he's still the same player that he was earlier this year when scouts were seemingly underrating him or ignoring him or whatever word you want to use. Uh, Do you think he's kind of opened some eyes in the playoffs? I do. I think at the end of the day, a lot of teams looked at him and he's small. He's not the this high-end, super, super elite skater that undersized players need to be. Is he going to be able to play this kind of up-tempo, high-energy game that, that he does in the regular season? Or is he going to kind of falter in the OHL playoffs? I think he's proven that he's still going to be able to play his game through physical play, through kind of adversity from other teams. I think he understands how to play at both ends of the ice. And I think seeing him do it on the big stage of the OHL playoffs and in hopefully the big stage of the OHL final is going to be really big for NHL teams when they're looking to draft him. I think someone's going to look at him and go, this could be a gem we uncover in the third round or late second round and get a guy that's really, really valuable. And who knows, maybe the London, Knight, the London Knights win the series, go on to the Memorial Cup, and he has a big Memorial Cup as well. We always see one of these draft-eligible players have a big Memorial Cup and earn a higher draft status, whether it's an extra 10 spots or a, high, a round higher than where they, they maybe were projected prior to that. And I think Denver Barkey could be that guy. Yeah, I agree with you. Honestly, I really do. I think that he's at least probably improved his stock by about a round. I think that without a strong playoffs, I think he's probably like a fourth or fifth round guy. Yeah. Um, with this strong playoffs, I think he's kind of in that second, third round range now. Uh, I think, and I, and I know from talking to, to people that the playoffs matter a lot and how you perform. That is something that scouts really look at closely and He's somebody who hasn't folded under that pressure. Yeah, like I agree with you, but let's get to the big question. Who do you have and how many games do you think the series is going to go? Honestly, I've gone back and forth on this in, in my head pretty much all day, knowing that we'd be chatting about it. And I think I'm going to take Peterborough. And <laughs> I've kind of felt for most of the year, other than when I switched to Sarnia, maybe the last like month and a half, for most of the year, I thought that the cream of the crop was in the East this year. Um, and I think that Peterborough is is a lot, um, not a lot, but more battle-tested 
than London in these playoffs. I think they've had a very, very tough road to go through. And I think that just the, the veteran makeup of this team with so many guys who have had long playoff runs before or guys who have different experiences uh, across different avenues. And I think that really is going to help them. I think that this is going to be a very close series. I think it's going to be six. I think it's going to be seven. Um, but I do think I'm going to stop underrating Peterborough. And that was kind of an inside joke because I've been underrating both of these teams. So I have to pick one of them and underrate the other one again. But it's going to be Peterborough. As a person from Windsor who watches a ton of Windsor Spitfires hockey and absolutely hated the London Knights growing up, I am done over or underrating the London Knights. They're going to win the OHL final seven games. Denver Barkey's going to have a fantastic series. Zach Bowen's going to stand on his head in, in a game or two and steal a game that maybe they shouldn't win. But I do think the London Knights are going to win this. And finally, one of us will be right in one of the last few series because we have been very, very wrong recently in some of the series that we've been predicting. Yeah, yeah broken clocks, right? At least twice a day, right? Exactly. And if you choose one team and I choose the other, one of us will be that broken clock. <laughs> Let's move on to some OHL draft eligible players that we just talked about Denver Barkey being a guy that's going to be get a getting attention in the NHL draft. So let's talk about the OHLers getting drafted this year. We just had the draft lottery go down. The Chicago Blackhawks are going to be getting Connor Bedard. Anaheim will likely be getting Adam Fantilli, and then the draft kind of opens up from there. Let's go to the OHL angle, though. How many? Let's start with who you think the top OHL drafted drafted player is going to be, and where do you think they go? I think it's Colby Barlow, and I think it's probably going to be early. Yeah, his U18s wasn't terrific, but I do think that NHL scouts value the intangibles that he brings and and the upside that he brings as a at least a, a high-end middle six goal scorer and i know that okay that doesn't sound great for somebody you're going to pick in, in the lottery but there's just so many things about his game that screams playoff performer in, in the future so i'm going to say that he goes ninth or tenth to detroit or st louis i think that either of those two places are a really good fit for him you look at detroit in the way that they're sort of trying to build up their roster now Marco Casper last year, um, they've got, I think they've placed an emphasis on those types of players. And Barlow is a big winger who can score, who can play both ends. And I think that sort of fits the profile. St. Louis, they seem to like players like that as well. Also, Detroit and St. Louis have drafted a lot out of the OHL in recent years. Um, they're two franchises who heavily scout the region. So I, I think that... That would be my guess. Now, on the flip side, I'll play, again, devil's advocate slightly and say that I think there's an equal chance that no OHL player goes in the lottery. Um, I do think that Barlow has a good chance, but I wouldn't bet on it. Uh, I don't feel extremely confident in it. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's going to be interesting to see where the first OHLR goes because, like you said, I wouldn't be shocked if it is until after the lottery teams are out of it. So, uh, for me, though, I have Quinton Musty as the top OHLer right now, and Buffalo seems like a good spot for me. A, a New York kid going back to the state of New York, and I know people are going to say Buffalo isn't New York. It's technically in the state, so I'm saying it. Um, I think he'd be a really interesting addition to the group they've got there up front. I think they've got a lot of skill. He'd bring a little bit of a power element to, the, to their team. I think he'd bring a little bit of what Alex Tuck brings without maybe that top-end speed, but a lot of the skill and power uh, to the game. 
he'd be a really interesting addition. I think he, him, Colby Barlow, both are probably going to be one of the first two OHLers off the draft board. Uh, like you said, though, it's not a guarantee that they go in the top 13, 14. I could see one of them kind of go, landing in that 17, 18 spot where a playoff team ends up getting them. Yeah, absolutely. So then I guess the next question would be, how many OHLers get drafted in the first round? I think we've talked a little bit about this previously, but you know we've just had the draft lottery and, and the draft is drawing closer. And I think we've got a pretty good handle on the situation now, more so than previously. So how many get drafted in the first round? I'm going to say four. I think Quinton Musty and Cal- Cal- or Colby Barlow, the two guys we just talked about, are going to go in the first round. I think those are the, the two safe ones. I think one of Oliver Bonk and Callum Ritchie are going to go. And then I think there's going to be a surprise, whether it's a, a Nick Lardis, a Hunter Bristavich. I think someone's going to – maybe an Andrew Gibson even. I, I think someone's going to sneak into the end of the first round at pick 31 or 32 and, and be a, a surprise OHL addition. So I'm going to go with four. I think that's a little on the higher end, but how many do you got? Yeah, I, I think four too, actually. Uh, I like that number. And I, I think kind of in a different way than you, though. I, I like Barlow. I like Cal Ritchie. I think Ritchie sort of solidified his spot in that first round. I would be shocked if Oliver Bonk isn't a first rounder at this point, given what he's done with London's playoff run and, and the fact that we know that NHL scouts really like his game. And then... I'm not as sold on Musty being a first round pick, to be honest. I think back to like the Brennan Saad situation from a few years ago, uh, where we kind of all thought he would be that. I think he was even projected closer to the lottery and then ended up falling out of the first round. I kind of don't think that he's a slam dunk uh, for the first round because of his feet. And I think that that's something that could hold him out of it. Then it could be him. Maybe it's Nick Lardis, like you said. There's always a wild card. And um, the OHL is such a great league that teams do trust it. So I wouldn't be shocked if there's another person in there. So I, I think four is, is a really good number. Yeah, it's, it's certainly going to be interesting because, like you said, after the after Colby Barlow, Cal Ritchie, guys like Oliver Bonk, like, it's going to be interesting to see who the other guys are. Doesn't Nick Lardis sneak in there? Does some random player down the board that we all view as a, a, a surefire second or third rounder, like a hundred percent does he sneak in there because someone falls in love with the tools that he has? It, it's always interesting on draft day and there's always a few surprises, but let's get to some players that are already drafted. And this week we're going to do the Chicago Blackhawks conveniently enough who just won the lottery. So let's take a look at some of the OHLers that are in their system, starting with defenseman, Ethan Del Mastro, the starting sting at 59 points, seven goals, 52 assists and 52 games, 82 penalty minutes between Sarnia and Mississauga. And there's a plus 16 on the year. I think he's a really solid defenseman. I think he's going to be a really sound two way guy that maybe leans more defensively when he gets to the NHL. But what's your take on his game? Yeah, I agree with you. I think his game has has improved leaps and bounds over the course of his OHL career. I think he's really gained confidence in his offensive abilities. And you and I have talked on the show previously that to be an NHL defender, even a stay-at-home type, you generally have had to produce some form of offense at the junior level. Rarely do you see guys who you know, were 20 or 25 point players in junior end up being longtime NHL players. And Del Mastro was able to take that next step as an offensive defender this year, really gain confidence in his puck moving abilities and his ability to transport. I think that there are some skill limitations. I think that you see that he's not often able to sort of problem solve his way out of 
intense pressure either along the wall when he's trying to hold the offensive blue line or when he's trying to escape the forecheck in his own end. Sometimes he can get bottled up and he's going to have to make quicker decisions at, at the pro level. And that's going to be an adjustment period, but the physicality is great. The, the feet for his size are great. The steps forward that he took as a transporter, as a playmaker are great. Um, and I do think that he's going to at least be like a solid number five um, at the NHL level. I think he's definitely somebody that Chicago is going to be utilize, uh, able to utilize in uh, a consistent role. Yeah, my my outlook on this on, on Del Mastro is that he's going to be a three, four, five. I think he's going to be a really good second pairing guy or, or a solid third pairing guy that can kind of be the driver there. He's a defensive presence. He loves to be, get involved physically, and he doesn't go chasing hits, which is something I love about him. He, he's a guy that understands that you're separating the man from the puck. That's the goal of being physical, and he does that. He's not going and hitting a guy two seconds after they've made a pass and trying to stay on the borderline of whether or not it's interference and whatnot. He's a guy that plays the game really, really smart, and I think that's the thing that I really like about his game. Let's move on to the next prospect, though. It's second round, I think second round pick from a couple years ago. Paul Ludwinski, nine goals, 25 assists, 34 points in 47 games. Maybe not quite the season he was expecting to have with Kingston, but that Kingston team wasn't all that great. Yeah, just just a second rounder last year. Um, I, the big thing for Ludwinski was, was staying healthy. He had a very tough year with injuries. He started the year with a really tough concussion that he picked up in the yeah. Blackhawks prospect tournament. Started the year late, didn't look great at the beginning of the OHL season because you could just tell he was just trying to get his feet back under him because uh, he apparently had a really tough go with that concussion. I was off the ice for a really long time. And I feel like that kind of set things in motion for him to just not really take a, a strong step forward. And then we saw at the end of the year, he had that ankle injury, which kind of prevented him from closing out the OHL season. So uh, just a really tough year development-wise. I still have a lot of faith in Paul Lewinsky. I think that he's somebody whose speed is going to play at the next level. And I think that he's going to have a much better year next year when yeah. he's fully healthy because uh, he is he's a competitive kid. And if you're not able to play your game to a T because you're worried about injuries or you know you're in your own head about the injuries you've already recovered from it's tough and especially when you're on a team that's not playing very well either right and uh just when you put all those pieces together um it's an understandable situation for him to have had a bit of a stagnant year development wise yeah like you said the the concussion at the start of the year the ankle injury early in the year i know he was dealing with something in kind of the mid part of the year as well playing through it there was a lot that was going on with him this year that I, I think prevented him from taking the step that we all expected to see. But at the end of the day, this is a guy that plays with speed and intelligence. He plays a sound defensive game, understands what he needs to do to play at the pro level eventually. And I think, like you said, we're expecting to have a much better season next year. I think we could see that step that we're expecting to see this year, maybe even a little bit more. And I think he's still a very good prospect for the Blackhawks. I think he's a very, very good player. Um, intelligent, like I said, and, and, and that's what you need. And, and is he going to be a top line guy? No, I don't think anyone was ever thinking he was going to be, but can he be a pretty solid bottom six energy guy? I still think that's a feature for him that he can have. Uh, let's move on to our last prospect in the system, though. Gavin Hayes, the Flint Firebirds, had a really, really good season with 41 goals and 40 assists and for 81 points in just 66 games, 32 penalty minutes, plus 11. This is a player that I, I really, really liked in his draft year. 
a ton of skill. He started developing everything else around that, and he really kind of flourished this season. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think he's one of the most underrated NHL prospects in the OHL currently. I think that he had a really, really good year, and not a lot of people are talking about that. And he kind of is everything you'd want from a really good middle six player in the NHL today. He's physical. Uh, I think his skating improved a lot this year. I think he was Big noticeably time. quicker. He's got a great shot, great four checker, can play in any situation. This is this is a kid that I think has a really bright NHL future. And I think that next year he's going to have an even better year. And I think that people are going to finally take notice uh, of him being a really good NHL prospect, especially if he hits 50, which I think is very likely next year. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be a very good prospect. I think the, the the puck skill was always there. You saw him deke and dangle, even if it was at a slower speed. It was very evident. So I think he's going to be a very, very good prospect. Do you think there's one of these guys, and maybe we'll take the master out of it just because he is a guy that I think we both agree is going to be a surefire NHL guy. So maybe out of Ludwinski or Gavin Hayes, who do you think is the more surefire NHL prospect? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I like both of these guys. Honestly, I, I think both of these guys will be NHL players. I think that I think Gavin Hayes has a higher upside. Uh, if I were to say, I, I think that Lewinsky maybe is the safer choice just because of his speed and tenacity. I think that that's going to play in a bottom six role at the very least, like you said. But Hayes, I think, definitely has a higher upside as, as a goal scorer and, and somebody who can play sort of that similar role to like Michael Bunting is this year with the Leafs, right? He, he can slot in kind of up and down the lineup and he knows how to put the puck in the back of the net, right? Yeah, I agree with you there. That's all we have for this week's episode, though. It's been fun time. The OHL final starts Saturday. Brock, who do you think gets the first crack on, on, on getting on the win chart? I think it's going to be Peterborough. I, I think that that's going to set the tone for the series because, I mean, that's my pick. I, I think that Peterborough is going to come out gunning, and uh, I think they're going to take game one. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening, whether it's on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, or anywhere else. We really appreciate you listening. And we'll see you next week as we start to update the OHL final and dig into the NHL draft maybe a little bit more. 